Okay, that's it now. So, what do we know? We know that the body of Christ is under attack, uh, and generally under attack, and we know that most believers are not aware of it, um, and are not prepared for it. Um, ministries of the Word, anything about studying the Word is in the front line. Uh, evangelism, people that seek to evangelize, any sort of ministry that is talking about Jesus and actually seeking to, to, to speak to the people who are lost and then to train up believers in the word, they are under the most attack. Um, we know that Satan is real, that he's powerful, and that his preferred attack is against your mind. And that's why God wrote 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 6. So if you could go there. Um, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So that reference was 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 6. And this next one is 1 Thessalonians, just a few pages over, chapter 5, verse 17 to 21. Well, sorry, verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to what, that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. So I'm putting First Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5 with 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 21, and I'm saying that the way that you destroy speculations and hold every thought captive is that you rejoice always and pray unceasingly. You rejoice always and pray unceasingly, and that is the way that you destroy strongholds in your mind. Um, uh, rejoicing always comes first. Always comes first. Rejoicing in, uh, in who Jesus is and in what he's done and who you are in him. And then you pray for the strength to go out or to, uh, to collect your thoughts or to fight whichever enemy you are fighting. How can you rejoice if you know that you're just about to face an enemy? You know he's vanquished. How do you know he's vanquished? Because you've just read his word that's told you that. So you're rejoicing in the truth then. You're not rejoicing in the way you feel. You're not rejoicing in what your victory you had yesterday or what you think today or tomorrow are going to bring. You're rejoicing in the truth of Jesus. So if you don't know the truth of Jesus, you can't do the first thing that is going to vanquish the enemy attacks. Honestly, there's no shortcut to being able to stand against the enemy, against your own flesh, against the world, or against Satan. You have to know the word of God. You have to know the word of God. And um, because you know that's true, you know that the word of God will be the first thing that the enemy will want to discourage you from reading, 
following, obeying, sharing, etc. So if you find it hard to get up in the morning and go to a Bible study, if you find it hard to fellowship with believers around the world, if you find it hard to pick up the Bible in the morning and have quiet time, or in the evening in quiet time, you can know, welcome to the believing human race. Because that is what all of us face. I used to, when I first came to the Lord, I met with a woman for two years who discipled me. And uh, she met with me on a Friday morning. Poor thing. <laughs> and, uh, and there were so many reasons that I couldn't make that Friday morning. Really, so many reasons I had to cancel. And then when she took me to a more in-depth Bible study, which was on a Tuesday, everything went wrong on Tuesday mornings. <laughs> Someone was sick. You know, my husband went to work later that day. I used to ride my bike to the church. My, the bike chain would get caught in my long dress and then I'd fall over. And I'm not kidding, that really used to happen. Every Tuesday, there was a reason why I should not have gone to Bible study. And that will be the same for you. And every day, I fight the battle to not switch on my laptop and to do my quiet time first. Every single day, I have to make that choice. Will I check what's happening in the news? Will I check my emails? Or will I go to the Bible first? I know you have to too. You have to do that too. You, you may be not so caught up in, in the internet. You may not be bothered about social media. You may not be bothered about that. But you'll have something, some reason. Some reason why you can't go to the Word of God. You'll have reasons why you can't get to an evening Bible study. It's winter. And oh, God, it, I'm so cold and it's so late and I've got to get up early tomorrow. And I mean, it's just, I can't do it. Over and over and over again. So rejoicing helps you to fight that battle. Rejoicing is the first step in prayer, in spiritual prayer. It is the first step. And you rejoice because God will never let you go. No matter how hard you find things, no matter how many times you turn away from him, no matter how many times you say, I haven't got time for you, he will still keep keeping on with you. He is a faithful God. He is a faithful God. And he is faithful to see you through to the end. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you to stand blameless with great joy, to him be the power in the church and in Christ Jesus. He will make you stand blameless with great joy in his presence. And believe me, you are going to want to know the God who will make you stand that way before you get there. And so you have to rejoice. Um, if you don't know who you are in Christ Jesus, read Ephesians chapter 1. If, you, if you're not sure who you are in him, read that chapter. You'll read in there that he chose you to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose you to be holy and blameless. He will make you holy and blameless. He's lavished on you all wisdom and insight. He loves you with a love that you couldn't possibly fathom. He has a surpassing great power at work towards you that you are part of the riches of his inheritance in the saints, that you, you, are a, a, a richness of Christ's inheritance. 
that when he looks at you, he rejoices over you with singing. Mm -hmm. Zephaniah chapter 3, 17, which might be one of my favorite verses. I rejoice over you with shouts of joy, God says. Zephaniah 3.17 So you must know the scriptures so that you can face the battles that you have to face. And you know, they're not easy. I could talk to everyone here and you would say the same thing. You know, my life's a mess. It's hard. Things are happening. Isaiah 55 talks about the word of God and, in, um, and the, the verses are quoted in the New Testament. In Isaiah 55, uh, God says, my, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. And that my word never returns void without accomplishing the purpose for which I sent it. And that's the same chapter that Isaiah begins with. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. It's... it's, it's Knowing the word of God helps you to know God because God is his word. The word of God is the mind of God in, in written form. Do you want to know God? I mean, really? Don't, you don't have to answer. You just have to answer yourself. Do I really want to know God? Do you really? Because if you don't, give it up. You know, who would do this? Really, if you, if you don't want to know God, then don't make a sham of it. Don't pretend. Just give it up and walk away. But if you want to know him, what he's saying is, you will know me through my word because my word is my character. My word is, is my life. My word is who I am. And when you know me that way, you will be enabled to rejoice, really rejoice. Paul will say in Romans 8, um, verse 30, if God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son. Uh, Romans 8, um, uh, I wish I could quote the whole thing, but I can't. Um, Sorry, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Just stop there. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? What is it that you want that God won't give you? Really? Is it, you know, a Lamborghini or an 18-bedroom house or a holiday in the Bahamas? No. What do you really, really, really want? Don't answer. Look at your own heart and say, what do I really, really, really want? And if you know the Lord Jesus, you know the answer comes back. I want to love you. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to be able to, to speak about you in words that make a difference to people. And if you want that, God will do it. He will give it to you. He will give it to you in abundance. And you will love him more tomorrow than you did today. And he will do it through his word. He'll do it through his word. Um, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who on earth can say to you that you are not worthy? 
God has already justified you. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Then you are justified now and for eternity. And your sins will never, ever, ever be held against you. You will never, ever, ever have to answer for a sin in your life. Why? Because Christ has already answered for you. Who could say that? Really, when the enemy comes at you and reminds you of all the stuff You just have to say, I am justified in the beloved. I am a child of God. Christ Jesus has paid my price. John chapter 5, I have passed through judgment into life. I have passed out of death into life. That's what has happened to you. And that's what you rejoice in. You don't rejoice in all the stuff of your love, all the muck. How can you? You're still walking in clay and mud. And your feet are getting dirty every day. You can't rejoice in that. But you can rejoice in the fact that you're going here. That he sees you as you will be. He sees you as the way you will be when you are with him for eternity. And you know what that's going to be like? That's going to be glorious. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being changed from glory to glory as to the Lord. Are you justified in the Lord Jesus? Have you given him your life? Have you accepted or or received his life for yourself? Do you know that he died and paid the price for your sins? If you are justified, then right now, God is glorifying you. He is glorifying you. You are sitting here listening to this woman you never met, drone on and on and on about scriptures, getting a bit over the top. And at that same moment, God is saying, will you believe it? Will you believe it? Will you believe it? And when you say yes, angels rejoice. Angels rejoice. And God rejoices with shouts of joy. With shouts of joy. You must rejoice over your salvation. You have to rejoice over Jesus, um, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Romans 8:35. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or coronavirus or wars in the Middle East or earthquakes or floods or tragedy or sickness or death? You know, who will separate you from the love of Christ? Nothing on this earth can separate you from the love of Christ. In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And if you can't rejoice over those verses, then you need to go and meet Jesus. Rejoice over those verses. Put your name into those sentences. Who can separate me, Anne, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Nothing can separate me from his love. I will overwhelmingly conquer every enemy, every situation, every circumstance through Christ who loves me.
Rejoice. The Lord is in control of your life. Colossians 1 verse 16. He is Colossians, you know, that wonderful um, uh, passage of scripture where um, Christ is exalted, actually. Uh, it begins in, in, uh, in, chapter, in verse 15. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And verse 16, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Rejoice that you were created for Jesus. For Jesus. He created you for himself. And you are being kept. Jude, verse 1, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Rejoice, I am being kept, protected, preserved for Jesus. I am going to see my Savior, and I will see him face to face. And I don't know yet what I'm going to be like, but I know I'm going to be like him. First John, can't remember the scripture, sorry, First John somewhere. We don't know yet what we'll be like, but we know when we meet him, we will be like him. Rejoice. Rejoice in that. Rejoice. He's in control. He has all authority. Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. All authority has been given to Jesus. Rejoice. No one can touch your soul. No anything, anywhere, at any time can touch who you are. You can go to prison. You can be in solitary confinement. You can be shot through the head. You can, you can suffer all sorts of terrible, terrible physical stuff. But no one can touch you, who you are. Because you are protected, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, by the power of God through faith. What for? A a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. You are being protected. Your soul, who you are, is being protected. Rejoice. Rejoice in that truth. Jesus has defeated your enemy. When he had, uh, it says, uh, second, uh, Colossians 2, 13 to 15, that he defeated the enemy in the cross and he put all enemies under his feet. All your enemies are defeated in Christ Jesus. And I, you know, I haven't even talked about prayer yet, I know, sorry, because I'm going off on one, but I just want to say to you, if you know this stuff, you don't have to pray about the small issues. You just rejoice, rejoice. You know, I'm sick, Lord. My husband's sick. Everything's going wrong. My kids are like this. My, my spouse is like this. My job, I'm losing my job. But God, you are for me. You are for me. And I know that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Even Laura laughed. It sounds ridiculous. Because who on earth could ever think it? Only someone who knows the Lord Jesus. Talk to the people in this room. Hear what their lives are like at the moment and what they've been like before. Listen to their story. And then hear what God has done in and through them and what he is still doing. And then rejoice. Rejoice that you know that God and that he knows you. Because when you rejoice 
in his word, when you rejoice in what he has done and what he has promised, you make him big. I don't mean you can make him big. You know what I mean? He becomes the, the, the size he should be. He fills the room. He fills your home. He fills your life. He becomes the great and exalted Jesus Christ that he should be. And everything else shrinks. Everything else shrinks. That's why you are to rejoice in the word of God. That's why you are to rejoice in the Lord always. Because when you do, everything else takes on its rightful place. Uh, I forget where one of the Psalms says that uh, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. When you speak praise, when you rejoice in the Lord, he inhabits, actually inhabits the words that you are using. In Philippians chapter 4, where, where we read, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Before that, it says rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice, the Lord is near. Rejoice, always rejoice. Every single time we hear about prayer, rejoice first and then talk. Rejoice and then pray. Praying the word of God is the biggest weapon that you will ever have or ever be given. Actually, it's the only weapon that you have. And it is more than enough. And when you pray the word of God, you are taking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And you are wielding it in the battle. Um, there's a couple of scriptures that I thought we would look at. I hope I'm getting to the end of my notes, but actually I'm not quite sure that I am. But anyway, Second Chronicles chapter 20. Um, you all know these, these um, well, hopefully you all know these scriptures. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Um, Jehoshaphat is faced, King Jehoshaphat is faced with... Um, an enemy. And there's a couple of things that I want to look at particularly. Um, so I might skip through some of the verses. Second uh, Chronicles, Old Testament, chapter 20, verse 3. Uh, well, actually verse 2. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is En Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So they all gathered together to seek help from the Lord. Then, verse 5, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you. What was he doing? He was reminding himself of who God is. He was rejoicing over his God. And as you go through that chapter, what you come to at the end is that God tells them, verse 15, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours but the Lord's. You know the scriptures. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will do this, that, and the other. You need not fight. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. And then you get to verse 20. They rose early in the morning, and they went out, and Jehoshaphat said, 
Put your trust in the Lord and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. And when they went out, he sent the first of the troops out doing something particular. What was it? Can you read on just a little bit? Verse 22. When they began singing and praising, what happened? The Lord prevailed over their enemies. What do you think God might be showing you in that, apart from the fact that he can beat every enemy? What else? That you must sing and praise him before your enemy is uh, overcome. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But you have to, you have to believe that and do it. You know, I mean, sometimes we hear all this stuff. It's really lovely, and we we love it. But actually doing it, that's like a step too far. We have to do this. You have to praise the Lord when you're facing the worst trial of your life. Sandra, that's why you're here. That's why you're here. Sandra's husband went to be with the Lord last week. I mean, or maybe the week before, but a little time ago. What's she doing coming here to this? She's rejoicing in the fact that she knows this God. And he's rejoicing in her. And because she's rejoicing in him and because she's praising him, she's receiving the blessing of that. And, and, and you could say, well, why doesn't God just bless her with it anyway? Well, because there's a double blessing when you're praising him, when you don't feel like praising him, and then you're receiving what he's giving you, the victory he's giving you. Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 4 to 11. Nehemiah does the same thing. Daniel, chapter 9. Daniel reminds God of who he is, praises him. Each of the people in, in Scripture, when you read those wonderful prayers that we all remember, they all praise God first. They all remember who God is. Hmm? Daniel 9, sorry. Sorry, yeah, Daniel 9. So... Um, yeah, I've got my notes the wrong way around, so I can't say this because I've already said it. So <laughs> James chapter 5, verse 16 to 17, the, the um, effective prayer of a righteous man or person availeth much. When you are in any sort of trouble, praise your God, rejoice in God. When you're not in trouble, Praise your God, rejoice in him, and let his word shape your mind. Let his word shape who you are. When you pray his word, he protects your soul. When you pray his word, he brings out the actual things that you want to pray about. See, you come to the Lord in prayer, and you've got a difficult situation, and nine times out of ten, you don't know where to begin because the situation's too big and it's too hard. And God knows that. That's why he's already set this up. Rejoice in the Lord first. Rejoice in the Lord. Praise him for who you know him to be. But that automatically assumes that you know him to be the great and wonderful God. 
I said at the beginning, I think, that when you're a new believer, um, God keeps you, I think, to a certain extent out of trouble, or at least you don't notice the enemies so much. That may, that may not be true for everybody, but I think largely that that's true. So now if you're facing um, some sort of trouble, what can you know? Yeah, you're on the right path, and you're not a baby anymore. And what else? Yeah, and? Say that, yes, if God is for us, who can stand against us? But think about that. When you were a baby, you know, you had baby things in front of you, right? And they were difficult, and you fell over a lot. You tried to stand up on the coffee table, and then you fell over, and then you did it again, you fell over. And your father, if he was a good father, he wasn't saying, I mean, for goodness sake, get up. Can't you walk yet? Come on. You know, you're 15 months old, you should be able to walk around the garden. No, because God isn't like that. What God does is he encourages you all the way, all the way, all the time. And so you start, and you start to be able to walk, and then you walk on a little bit more, and then you find you're out in the garden, and then there's something bigger in front of you. And God's, where is God? Yeah, he's with you, but he's, he's hiding, or at least you can't see him at the moment. Do you think he's hiding because he's saying, do you know what, she's going to come across that rose bush and she's going to cut herself to pieces on those thorns and I'm just going to watch because she's going to get into a load of trouble. No. Why not? To teach her. Why is God not like that? Why is he not letting you do that, come up against that thing? Because he's loving and merciful, because he's gracious and good, and because he loves you beyond your wildest dreams. So if he knows there's a rose bush there, and if he knows you haven't faced a rose bush before, or a whatever it wants to be, what do you know about God? He'll protect you, but he knows you're ready to come across that rose bush because he kept you from it before. So even though you don't think you're ready and you think this is too big for me and you think this is a difficulty I cannot get over, God is saying, but with me you can. But with me you will have the victory in this. But with me nothing is too big for you. Do you see what I mean? So God's on your path. He knows what you're doing. He knows what's in your way. He knows what's around the corner. He sees everything. He sees the end from the beginning. And so he is not surprised when you come against an enemy or an obstacle or something. And he has already prepared you for it. So what are you going to do when you see the rose bush or you see the giant or you see the mountain or you see whatever it is? What are you going to do? Before that... Praise you, Lord, that I'm ready for this mountain. Praise you that I'm ready for this giant. Praise you that you have already prepared me to do this. And then what will happen when you do that? It's always overcome. Your faith will grow. Yeah, your faith will grow. Yeah. You'll get the courage, yeah. Come back a bit to what I said before. What will happen when you say, when you're facing um, um, an obstacle and, it, and it's like, well, where's that come from? Praise you, Lord, that I'm ready for this. Praise you that you knew about this. Praise you. What's going to happen? Exactly. How do you know all these answers? This, yes, you've been, we're on the same track, the same nutty mind track. Um, what did she say? I'm just going to What did she say? I'm not going to, yeah. <laughs> she said, God gets bigger. 
God gets bigger. When you praise God, when you're facing an obstacle or a difficulty or a trial, God gets bigger in your mind. And suddenly the obstacle gets smaller because you're praising him. You're praising him because he knew it was coming. You're praising him because he, he, he knows the end from the beginning. You're praising him because you belong to him. You're praising him because every good thing, everything that comes into your life is good for you. I don't mean physically good or, you know, humanly good for you. I don't mean that. That's naive and ridiculous. We live in a fallen world with sin. And things are not the way they're supposed to be. This world is not as it should be. This world is full of evil. This world is full of human beings bent on their own destruction. This world is not light and joy but God brings light and joy into it. And when you face the difficulties and the tragedies of this life, he is always enough. Always enough. And more. So you're going to pray, you're going to rejoice. And what do you think when you're rejoicing? What will that do to your prayers when you rejoice first? It will change. How will they change? Yes, from focusing on yourself to focusing on God and, yes, that's definitely true, and your prayers will completely change because you will now be praying about things you're totally and utterly assured of. You won't be praying, oh Lord, what on earth am I going to do? You'll be praying, oh Lord, I haven't got a clue, but I know you know. I can't fix this, (coughs) but I know you can. I can't get through this, but I know you'll carry me. It totally reverses the way we pray. So when the enemy comes against you with the way he comes at you, how much more important to, to, to be able to pray the word of God? You know, you're worthless. You're never going to amount to anything. You haven't even got enough faith to believe that. What, you can't even believe that? Your faith is like that, paper thin. You're never going to make it to the finish line. And look at you. Look how far from God you are right now. Do you really think any of that stuff's for you? Yeah, nasty. And even worse, I can't think of even the worst things. There's so much worse. There's so much that comes into our minds that that the enemy brings in and we have to praise the Lord to remove it. Praising the Lord removes the uh, attack of the enemy. Now, sometimes you have to keep on doing it. You know, sometimes it seems like it's a never-ending battle. That's why it's most important to dig in and praise God. Praise him. Um, I'll miss out a lot of the scriptures because I know it's ten past four nearly. Um, Joshua, um, Joshua chapter 1, God comes to Joshua um, and Joshua is taken over from Moses and is going to lead the people into the promised land. And God says to him, every place that the sole of your foot treads, I have given to you. Only be strong and courageous. That is the same as Nehemiah. It's the same as uh, Daniel's prayer. It's the same as Jehoshaphat. It's the same as every single person in scripture God is saying, I have already given you 
what you need. I have already won this battle. I have already provided. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, that if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that you lack. Every place that the sole of your foot treads, I have given to you. You want joy? It's yours. You want peace? It's yours. Do you want to have a life of purpose and meaning? It's yours in Christ Jesus. Only praise and lay hold of the reality of it. If you read um, Hebrews chapter 11, you went, if we, we don't have time, not anything like, but if you went out, if you read Hebrews, you would see that every single person in Hebrews went out to live their life not knowing what they would face. And they faced some terrifying situations, but they came through because of the Lord Jesus. And all of them praised the Lord. I've, um, I want to pass around a, 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 a prayer, actually, that, um, yeah. Well, it's a kind of a, it's a warfare prayer. And you don't have to pray it or um, you don't have to do anything with it. You can screw it up and throw it away when you go out, preferably not now, when I can see. <laughs> but, um, um, so I'm, I'm going to, yes, uh, well, you know, with a bit of help from uh, loads of other people, but, you know, with, from the Bible and mostly it's scripture. So. But I wanted to um, finish with the prayer. And so um, if you feel like praying it with me, please do. If you don't, that's fine. If you just want to hold it and take it home or, as I say, discard it or whatever. Um, there's lots of prayers you can get online for spiritual warfare. There's lots of uh, people who... Um, I hope I've got enough. If I haven't got enough, you'll have to share. Um, I haven't got enough. You'll have to share. Can you share your Christians? Be nice, right? Yeah, you can share. There you go. Three, you'll have to share there. Sorry. You'll just have to go along with it, you know. Just put, oh, there. <laughs> we have next door. Yes, yes. Yeah, thank you. Um, there's some great prayers online for spiritual warfare prayers. But to be honest, most of the time, I think, and I, well, actually, it doesn't matter what I think, really. It only matters what God says. And I think a lot of the time, when we, um, when we think about spiritual warfare, we think we've got to claim things for the Lord, and we've got to do this for the Lord, and we've got to do that for the Lord, and we've got to stand mighty, and we've got to stand strong, and we've got to, you know when actually God's already done it. You can't claim the land for the Lord. You can march around Siren Sister 500 times a day, and actually, if God doesn't do it, you can't claim Siren Sister for the Lord. You can say, Lord, I want to go along with your work in Siren Sister, but if, if we don't even say the words right, what happens is we're telling ourselves things that are not true. 
how many times do you read on Facebook or on those things, or you hear people say, prayer is powerful? Actually, that's a lie. Prayer isn't powerful. God is powerful through prayer. Now, it doesn't matter. I mean, you hear people say these things. I say things back to front, or, you know, it doesn't matter. Because... But it matters what I understand from what I'm saying. Because the enemy wants to get me to think that things depend on me. And they don't. Thank God. They don't. They depend on him. He is building his church. And he is doing it through people like us. And he has provided us with everything we need to do what he's called us to do. And this prayer really is just a... um, a proclamation of what he's done. So I'm going to... Re- yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, um, I love this, because you've got me, me, me. Rob and I had a five diets with the word of faith people back in the 80s. Uh, and we had something like similar. You know, I am, I am, yeah. I am. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, you kind of... It wasn't long for a year, but yeah. I was going out five years. So yeah. Really yeah, it is. So I'm going to read it. Um, if you want to read it as aloud with me, if you don't want to, don't worry. If you want to just say it under your breath or quietly or whatever. But I'm going to finish with this. So I'll read it and then I'll just... yeah. So Father God, Almighty Sovereign Lord, we proclaim that Lord Jesus Christ has won the victory over the enemy of our soul.
So, so let's pray. Father, we thank you. I thank you, Father, for this room. I just praise you, Lord, because it is such a glorious provision that we prayed for for such a long time and uh, honestly thought it was never going to happen. And then suddenly here it is and we're here and you're here and it's amazing. And and I thank you, Lord, for, for the way that you've provided. I thank you for what you've provided. I thank you that you are Oh, the God who goes before us in all things. And I ask today, Lord, that above everything else, above what we learn, above how you speak to us, above everything, that you are honoured in our thinking, in our conversations, in everything that's said, that you are lifted up, Lord Jesus, that you, your name is exalted in this place. And, and Father, I thank you, because we can know that that will happen, because that's what you've put in our hearts. You tell us that you give us the desires of our hearts when we delight ourselves in you. And, and, and so it's such an, a wonderful thing, Lord, to know that as we pray, we can be absolutely sure that you will answer this prayer. So, um, Father, we give you this time, we give you this day, this afternoon, and ask you to use it for your glory. And um, we thank you, Father, for the sweet fellowship around your word that we're going to enjoy. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, If you can turn your phones off, if you wouldn't mind, just put them on silent or whatever. Um, Thank you. Um, As you go through the scriptures, uh, what you read, really from the beginning, actually, from Genesis chapter 3... You read that uh, we, the reality of this life is that we are in conflict. Uh, every human being is actually in, in conflict, but not every human being is aware of it. It's only usually when you come to know the Lord Jesus that you uh, almost are put onto the front line and you become more aware of the battles um, of this conflict that you're in. Uh, we're at war, actually. That's what the Bible tells us. We're at war with three main enemies. Uh, One is the world. We are enemies of the world, and the world is an enemy of us. There are many scriptures that talk about it. Romans chapter... um, Sorry, John chapter uh, 18, Jesus says, uh, the world hated me, and so it will hate you. The world, that's not necessarily every person in the world, but it's the world's systems and the world's thinking and and the world views that are around our uh, planet. We as believers are in conflict with those uh, world systems, with those world views. And, and when you come to Jesus Christ, actually he gives you, starts to give you a different world view. And that's something that he involves you in because he wants you to put together your own world view based on the truth of who he is. So we then become more and more involved in the conflict. We're more and more aware of the conflict between the way the world thinks and the way we think. If you were to go today, I mean, look, just look at today, coronavirus, uh, the Middle East in, in its usual uproar, volcanoes, tornadoes, earthquakes, all around our world, it's like the planet is exploding in various ways. And actually, who in any human sense, would be able to understand that you have peace in the midst of that. It's a ridiculous notion. 
but it becomes because we, we, our worldview, our thinking, our whole mindset has been changed or is being changed by the God who created all things, who sustains all things, and whose plan and purpose is being worked out. And, and so that puts you in conflict with the world. The second enemy we have is our own nature, our flesh. The Bible calls it our flesh. And we are constantly at war with our flesh. Now, you probably think you're a pretty nice person, right? You're a pretty okay, good person. You don't kick the cat, you don't scream at your neighbors, you don't steal, you don't murder, you don't do all the big sins. You think probably, or you did think at one stage before you came to the Lord that you were an okay person. But actually your flesh is your enemy because your flesh is causing you to do stuff that God does not want you to do. Your flesh is all the time pulling you away from God all the time. Your human thinking, your nature, your habits, your everything in your humanity, as it were, is pulling you away from God. And so we even have uh, the idea of that being um, spoken against in our world, if, if you can imagine. The world is using our own flesh, and the enemy we're going to talk most about today, Satan, is using both of our enemies to m help us to think that that's not true that our flesh is not our enemy. And so we have a situation where we can actually deceive ourselves into thinking that my thinking is okay, my feelings are okay, there's nothing wrong with this or that or the other thing. I mean, it's not so bad, is it? It's not as bad as Mrs. Smith down, down the road on the corner. She does this, that and the other, you know. And okay, I say the occasional swear word, but I mean, really, is it so bad? You know, I get drunk sometimes on a Friday night. I mean, not every Friday, so I think it's okay. All those little things, and they're ridiculous examples, but all those things we tell ourselves, our flesh tells us about, uh, about ourselves. And uh, it does that because it is pulling, always pulling us away from God. Romans chapter 8, uh, Paul will say in Romans chapter 8 that if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh, we will live. He says that the flesh is always at war with the spirit. Um, and any of you who have had any sort of uh, battle with your flesh in any specific area, uh, many of you all know about my drinking, which is long time past, but it's such a good example that I use it all the time. Uh, even after I was a Christian, I drank too much too often for 10 years. And... A lot of the time I could tell myself, it's okay. I mean, I'm not out on the street, I'm not falling over drunk. I'm not throwing up. It's okay. But I, I was a functional, I was functionally alcohol dependent, let's put it that way. And, but I was able to tell myself that it was okay. But the spirit in me was saying, no, it isn't okay. No, it isn't okay. So there was this fight going on within me between my humanness and my human reasoning and the, hum the human, uh, my particular human nature, which has always been to make perfect, wonderful excuses for my behavior. I can, I can absolutely exonerate myself in an instant. And so then I had the spirit coming in and, and showing me the reality of my life. And that was a battle. It was a battle for 10 years. And eventually, 
the spirit one. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you can relate to that, but probably you have something that you have either gone through, are going through, or perhaps will go through, because your flesh is your enemy. The world is your enemy, your flesh is your enemy, and of course, Satan is our enemy, Satan and his demons. Um, and uh, as you go on more and more uh, in your walk with the Lord, you understand the reality of Satan, you, you come to know who he is and how he is and what he does, and uh, that's mostly what we're going to concentrate on today, um, because, yeah, well, you'll see as we go along. Um, it was quite interesting to me, actually, to see, in, if you go to Exodus 13, if anyone's got a Bible, Exodus 13, verse 17, the Israelites are being brought out of Egypt, and um, Moses is leading them, and he's leading them into the, into the Promised Land. And in, in chapter 13, verse 17, um, <coughs> we read, Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. And that really struck me as I was thinking about this. I've seen it before, but it struck me when I was thinking about today because I think for a long time God shields us from the reality of the enemies that we have. And I think that's for our protection because he knows the weakness of our flesh. He knows the weakness of our faith. And I think that he protects us for a long time in our Christian walk so that we are able to be built up by the word and by the spirit and are then able to get to grips with the enemies that we have, particularly Satan. And um, as I say, that's pretty much what we're going to talk about today. Um, Romans 8, I think I said, tells us that the spirit of God uh, is at war with the f deeds of the flesh. Uh, Romans 8, 13, as I say, says we need to put to death those deeds. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us to lay aside the old man and put on the new. Romans 12 verse 2 tells us not to be conformed to this world. And actually, it's in the original language that it's written, we read... Uh, do not be conformed to this world, Romans 12, verse 2. But actually, the, the, in the original language, it's stop being conformed. It's this idea that we are being conformed every day in every way. Our minds are being conformed to this world, and we are to stop it. And uh, it tells you in that same verse how to stop it. Uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the only way you can renew your mind is to be in the word of God. It's the only way. There is no other place to go to renew your mind. So if you think you can go to church every Sunday, you can have a cup of coffee with your Christian friend, you can uh, you know, go to gospel concerts, you can uh, listen to someone, give a talk, that is not enough for you to stop the conforming that's going on right now. Um, in Ephesians chapter 6, the, the, the scriptures you'll probably know very well. Ephesians chapter 6, um, Paul will write about the uh, battle that we have, not against human flesh, he says, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the principalities, against the authorities in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 6, um, verse 10. 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one and take, up, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Paul's language here is so strong, so strong. And he's talking, of course, about, as I said, this struggle, this battle, this hand-to-hand combat, actually, that we have with Satan and his demons. The sword of the spirit, if if you've ever done any sort of study on this uh, armor and the sword, uh, you will see that Paul is talking about a very small dagger. He's not talking about an epee from fencing. He's talking about a dagger, that sort of length. And so when he's talking about coming up and using the sword of the spirit against the enemy, he's talking about hand-to-hand combat. He's talking about an enemy that gets up close and personal. He's not talking about an enemy that fires rockets. He's talking about an enemy that comes right in and whispers in your ear. Um, Today, as I said, we're going to concentrate on uh, on Satan um, and uh, look at the teachings in the Bible about them. And and it's it's quite interesting to me and really important, I think, that we, we do look at them because I think we have a lot of misconceptions about Satan. Um... One thing I read, C.S. Lewis, apparently, uh, decades ago. Does anyone read C.S. Lewis here? Yeah, everybody. And the screw tape letters are just amazing, aren't they? Uh, he wrote, I think in there, that uh, most believers fall into two camps about Satan. One camp is we deny the existence of Satan and his demons. Or at least we don't think about them. We just think, well, they're nothing to do with us. And the other camp is that we get totally and utterly fascinated by them. And every waking moment and every thought, every difficulty in our life is all the result of Satan. Um, Either way, we miss the Bible's teaching about the conflict that we're in. So we're just going to run through uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, back to number 9, about this conflict. Um, Number 1, first, the Bible is a book about God. It is not a book about the devil. Satan is at best a bit part, walk-on character. It doesn't answer every question about the devil. It doesn't tell us everything about spiritual warfare. It doesn't give us permission to focus on Satan. It simply tells us to focus on God. The whole Bible is about focusing on God 
on Jesus Christ who is God in the flesh. Jesus is the central character in scripture. He is the main focal point. Everything is about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. Everything is about Jesus Christ. Everything points to him. All of the characters, the main characters that you could think of, Moses, Adam, Noah, uh, Job, um, uh, can't think, you can think of all the characters. They all, in some way, typify Christ. They all show us something about Jesus. Um, Daniel, all of the characters that we know about through learning in school, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, you know, these wonderful characters. And we all think, oh, I want to be a Daniel. I want to be one of the friends of Daniel. I want to be this, I want to be that. And I'm supposed to be that. I'm supposed to be like Daniel. I don't know how many times I've heard messages, be like Daniel, be like Joshua, be strong and courageous. But the reality is, Daniel, it's not you or me. Daniel is a type of Christ. Joshua is a type of Christ. Joseph is a type of Christ. Moses is a type of Christ. You can't be Daniel or Moses or any of those people. You're not strong enough. You're not bright enough. You're not wise enough. You're not anything enough. Only Christ can do what they did. That's the point. That's the point. You cannot live the Christian life. I mean, hallelujah, you should be praising God. Because if you haven't found out, you can't live it by now. You will find out tomorrow. We cannot live a good Christian life. We can't live with everything focused on the Lord God and all of our thinking and all of our behavior and everything in us doing the right thing. It's impossible. That's why Jesus came. That's why he lived. That's why he died. That's why his spirit is given to everyone who believes. Because in and of ourselves, we are incapable of doing anything in the right way, in the way that God calls us to. Honestly, if you don't leave here with anything but that, leave here with that, you're just not strong enough. You're not good enough. You're not brave enough. You're not courageous enough. You cannot live the way that you think God wants you to live. And the reason he tells you about how he wants us to live and how we're, we're to walk on with him is so that we will completely and utterly throw our hands in the air and say, oh God, I can't do this. Thank you that Jesus did it for me. Thank you that he will now continue to walk with me in this so, the whole Bible is a book about God. Um, everywhere in Scripture you read instructions, Colossians 3, verse 1 to 4. Therefore, if you are in Christ, keep your eyes on things above. Keep seeking the things above. Keep looking at Jesus. Any approach to spiritual warfare, any approach to spiritual praying, any approach to any of the battles we face in life that magnifies Satan is the wrong approach. Satan is a defeated foe. He is completely and utterly under the feet of Jesus Christ. He has no power to touch you except that which you give him or that is allowed by God for some reason that you may not always know to, to build you up and strengthen you and encourage you. God never brings anything into your life to bring about failure. 
When you are aware of something, my drinking, when I came to the final stage of my drinking, when I knew this is an enemy I cannot beat, that was the moment that God said, it's gone. It's, it's the understanding that only God can do. And Satan is in the camp of all your other enemies. Everything that he does and everything he throws at you and everything he tries to get you to think is all for the purpose of you believing that God has left you on your own, that you have to do it alone, that you have to be strong enough, that you have to become this super, super Christian. Satan is defeated. He's, um, yeah, he's a defeated foe. The Bible actually doesn't talk about him very much, doesn't give you much information about him. There are two places, really, that you can read where he came from. Isaiah chapter 14, just a couple of verses, 12 to 14, which we won't read, and Ezekiel 28. So if you can go to Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel 28 uh, we're just going to read a few verses to see where Satan came from. Ezekiel 28, verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering the ruby, the topaz and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise and the emerald and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you on the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Um, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you. I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified and you will cease to be forever. Um, in, in the context of Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel is prophesying about the eventual end of Satan, but also the beginning. Where was he? He was in Eden. He was the anointed cherub that covers. He was the most beautiful of God's angels. He was created by God. And then, in some way that the Bible doesn't explain, he became lifted up because of his beauty, lifted up because of his intelligence and his wisdom. And he wanted to be God. He wanted to be as powerful as God. And so in the end, he was uh, cast out. He's not totally cast out at the moment. He still has access to God. How do we know that? Job, Job chapter 1. There was a day when all the sons of God came to present themselves to God and Satan came among them. So you know, but that's Old Testament. So what about that? What about, you know, 
How, how do we know that he's still able to go backwards and forwards to, to God now? He, yeah, he tempted Jesus. What did you say? He spoke to Jesus in the garden. In the, he's the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser of the brethren who accuses us before God day and night. Hebrews, and I'm sorry, I don't have the exact reference, but he is the accuser of the brethren. He, uh, Jesus told Simon Peter, do you remember? Uh, Matthew chapter 16, say, Luke 22, I'm sorry. Say, uh, Simon, Simon, um, Satan has demanded permission to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you have... Uh, fallen, your faith will, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Thank you, uh, Luke 22. Satan has access to God now, but he is uh, under the control of God. It's hard for us to think of that, isn't it? It's hard for us to know that and think that, well, why would Satan still be around? Why is he still around? That's a question. Why is he still around? Hmm? Yep. Oh, you. Well, you're not Satan, thankfully, Ellen. You do have an iffy thing going on in your flesh, but you're not Satan. Why is Satan still around? Why? It's a test on faith. No, I don't don't know. Because the end hasn't come. Because we're not at the end. And you know what? Um, actually, the real answer, why is Satan still around? When's he going? When did he arrive and everything else is, I don't know. And nor do you. You don't know. Do you know why you don't know? Because you're not God. So we can look at the scriptures. We can see some things about him. But there's a lot of unanswered questions. And so that's why God, through his word, says, don't waste your time focusing on an enemy. Focus every bit of your, inten- uh, your attention on the victor. Focus your attention on your friend, your father, your king, your God. Yeah, go ahead, Alan. Was he a man sixty years? Used to go to football matches. No, I'm not. He someone with a savage ball, more bad than other things. With the yeah. You don't get it today. No. They'd probably be arrested. Yeah, they probably would be arrested, yeah. Yeah. So, um, the Bible doesn't focus on Satan. It tells you a little bit about where he came from, and it tells you a few things about what he does, but mostly it's... The Bible is forcing our attention on God and on the Lord Jesus. Second, Satan and his forces are real. They're not imaginary. Some people like to um, say that it was just a first century idea to explain evil. That uh, really kind of those people back in the first century didn't have much intelligence, so they made up this evil, this Satan and his demons. Um, But the Bible reveals them as real and supernatural and they're opposing God and they're opposing God's people. That's you and me. They are opposing us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. 
And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That is a description of you and me before we came to know the Lord Jesus. We were sons of disobedience, sons and daughters of disobedience, and we walked according to the power of the prince of the air, Satan. Um, angels that follow Satan, uh, fallen angels, uh, you can read in scripture that about a third of the created angels uh, followed Satan when he fell. Um, they have no gender. Angels have no gender. So all of the time when we hear about this spirit and that spirit and we attribute a gender, most of the time in Scripture, or all the time in Scripture, their angels are uh, described in masculine terms, never feminine. Even the Jezebel spirit, believe it or not, there is no such, the Jezebel spirit had no gender. Spirits are not male or female. They're spirit. Third, the Bible teaches, as I've said already, that Satan is not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is our flesh and the world. The, the biggest difficulty of us in holding on to that is that Satan uses the flesh and the world to attack us. Um, fourth, God reigns over every enemy that we have. He reigns over all. And the reason we have conflict in our flesh and with the world and with Satan is because God put it there. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman's seed. Genesis 3, 15. God put the en enmity between us. He put it there. Why? Because as a result of the fall. Yeah, but why? Why did he have to put the enmity there? It would have been a lot simpler if he hadn't. It's a trick question because your answer is, I don't really know. I don't really know. All I know is that because there was enmity, Christ came. Everything in God's plan, everything that he does from the beginning to the end is all sending us to Jesus, to the reason for Jesus, to, the, to why we need Jesus, to why we have to focus on him and live our lives for him. It's all pushing us back to that point. When uh, in Genesis 3, after the Adam and Eve have sinned and Adam blames Eve and Eve blames the serpent and God speaks to, to all of them, he says, and I will put enmity, but he will crush you, on, you will crush him on the heel and he will crush you on the head. Even the enmity right then that God instilled was, was for the purpose of the cross being the defeat of Satan. And Satan. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, although Christ has the victory and he's triumphed over the cross, sovereign, uh, sovereignly God allows some battles and um, to make us uh, or to help us grow into the people, be transformed into the people that we will ultimately be. And when you find that difficult to understand, the only way to really get any... Um, I think, anyway, to get any real kind of uh, vague understanding of it is to think of Jesus in the wilderness. 
Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. He comes up out of the Jordan, and immediately in Matthew it says, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and there he met Satan. So Jesus, uh, you, you know the verses, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 on down, uh, Satan comes to Jesus with three different temptations, and Jesus was tempted. That's the thing to remember. He was really tempted to do what, Jesus, to what Satan offered him, to take what Satan offered him. And uh, what was the uh, result? I mean, you know the result, so it sounds like a trick question, but it's easy. So what was the result? What did Jesus do when he was tempted? He spoke out the word of God, and he withstood the trial and the test and the temptation. And so because of that, what happens? So the temptation was to entice Jesus to, to um, move towards his flesh nature. Yes. Away from his God Yes. And so the fact that he didn't succumb to what would offend his flesh, he became a perfect man. Yes. He lived a perfect life, didn't, didn't sin, even though he faced the, all the temptations all the we were facing. Yeah. But, so what's the knock-on effect of that? Because that's true. He, wasn't, he didn't succumb. He didn't sin. Temptation is not sin. He did not sin. And so he was able to go to the cross, a sinless, spotless lamb of God. He was able to die without sin. But the, knock, the ramifications of that for us, what does that mean for us? It means that he did what we would never have been able to do. And so what does that mean for you and for me now? It means victory. Did you say victory, Debbie? It means victory. Yes, in Christ, we will not sin. This is the reality. It's, it's, it may be not your everyday reality right now. You may be facing things, and you may be finding them difficult. And as I say, it took me 10 years just to give up one thing. So I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying that you'll find it every day like a breeze. You're going to walk through this life. But what I am saying is Christ in you the hope of glory. Christ lives in you. You are able to withstand temptation. You are able to come through the fires of trials and tests and temptations without sin. You are able to do that in Christ Jesus. Now, you will never have a totally perfect day. Of course not, because you're going to be battling this flesh till the day it goes into the ground or wherever it goes. You are going to be battling your flesh. You're going to be fighting the world that is trying to conform you into its mold. And Satan is going to be coming with all his lies and all his deception. But you are able in Christ. In Christ, I can do all things. Yes, I can, and no temptation has seized you. No test, no trial. That word for temptation means test or trial or temptation. No anything has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. And when you are tempted, he will always provide the way of escape that you might endure it. He will always provide, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He will always provide the way of escape that you may endure it. How does he provide the way of escape? Word of God. Word of God and? He's given you Jesus by his spirit. You have the spirit living within you. You have the spirit of the risen Jesus, the spirit of the Christ who did not sin, who faced Satan, who faced him down for you. 
I mean, I can hardly get it in my head that he did that for you. If I knew everybody's name, I'd be saying your names. He did it for you, Jeannie. He did it for you. He faced Satan down so that when Satan comes to you, you are able to stand and say, not me, I can't face you, but the God in me, the Christ in me, is able to do the impossible. He is the God of the impossible. He is in control. He is sovereign. He is most high, victorious God. And I belong to him and he is mine. And it is a most amazing, amazing thing that Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, his Satan coming against him, has, the victory of that has been given to you and me. It's so wonderful. It's, I want to stay there. I don't want to move on, but I can't. So, Fifth. The enemy we face is a defeated foe. They're all defeated. Your flesh is dead in the water. Your flesh is dead. And it's going to remain dead for eternity. You might lose a few battles now, but you are going to win in the end because you're going to leave this shell, this earthly vessel that you're in and you're going to soar on eagle's wings with the Lord Jesus and you will live in the victory that he has won for you so your flesh is defeated the world is defeated the world at one stage will not be able to conform you you are going to walk on into victory in Christ Jesus, with Christ Jesus, and live with him in eternity. And it's going to be more wonderful than you can even imagine. What is it Paul says at the end of Philippians chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 3? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything you ask or think, to him be the glory. Try to imagine the best you can. And then tell yourself, that's where I'm headed. I'm headed there. You're wondering what's this got to do with prayer, I guess. But it's, it has got lots to do with prayer. But you can't get there too quick. That's the thing. You've got to build up. So where are we? Number six? Oh, yeah, no, we're number five. Satan is, um, is a defeated foe. He's still at work. He's still able to do stuff. But in, in the end, he is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 to about verse 10, talks about the fact that this, at the end, at the end of time, at the end of God's plan, at the end of everything that's going to happen, Satan will be thrown into a lake of fire. Um, we do wrestle with uh, principalities. I've just read that in Ephesians 6. But his forces have never been out of God's control. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 23 um, uh, in fact, we'll go back a little bit. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Where are you seated? In heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Where is Satan? 
under your feet. Under your feet. Sixth, since the war is already won by Christ, Satan is unable to take you back into his kingdom. You were in the kingdom of darkness. You did belong to Satan. He probably didn't bother too much with you because you were there. But now that you're in the kingdom of God, now he is more giving you more attention. He cannot take you back. So if he knows he can't take you back, and I think he does, why is he constantly coming at you? To make you useless in the kingdom of God. And the way that he does it, almost always, is by attacking your mind. With deception, with division within the body of Christ, in all sorts of ways, he's trying to attack your mind. And actually, when you think about it individually, just individually, he is having a field day inside the church. If I asked you to write down what you've truly thought about yourself, 90% of this room would be writing negative comments. If I asked you to write down, you know, if, um, we just had a conversation about it, so I'm going to, uh, Angela and Jill will know what I'm talking about. If I were to ask you to write down all the things you feel guilty about from your life, you'd have a list as long as the wall, probably. But actually, your feeling guilty has been dealt with at the cross. You have no guilt now that you know Christ Jesus. I mean, it's too good to be true, isn't it? And that's why Satan comes with that knock, 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 knock. Can't be true, can't really be true. Guilt is a consequence of what you did. I mean, you did something terrible, so you should feel guilty. It's a lie. It's always a lie. Everything that Satan says, everything that he does is designed to drag you down. Seventh, we are not on the defensive in the battle with Satan. You are not on the defensive. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, which I read, says to stand firm, put on the full armor of God. But standing firm is not simply waiting, holding up your, 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 your shield of faith and saying, oh, I hope he hits Ed. I hope he hits Angela. You know, just I hope I can hide behind this shield. We are not on the defensive. The armor that you've been given is so that you will be assured of your position in Christ Jesus when you go out to face the enemy. Every single part of the enemy, of the armor that you have, is taken from the Word of God. Every single part of it. Your helmet of salvation, which is the gospel truth that you belong to God. Your belt of truth, which goes round the whole rest of the armor, is to hold everything together, is the word of God. The breastplate of righteousness is the righteousness of Christ that covers your heart and your lungs and every internal organ. You are covered in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. You have the belt of God's truth around your waist. You have a shield of faith that is able to extinguish the arrows that Satan throws at you. And you have a sword of the Spirit that will do him harm when you use it. 
you are not on the defensive. The armor is not necessarily simply to protect you, although it has that effect. It's so that you know when you go out that you stand in the strength of Christ, in the strength of his word, and that nothing, absolutely nothing can come against you. Nothing can do you in. Nothing can defeat you. I want to cry because I know you don't believe that. I know you don't because I don't really, not really, deep down. And that's what this is all about. That's why when we do get to talk about the prayer, that's why it's so important that we pray unceasingly. We pray using the the weapon that God has given us. We pray using the word of God because the word of God is every part of our armor. It's every part of our strength. It's everything that tells you who you are in Christ and who he is in you. And if you don't know it, then you are defenseless because you cannot come against the enemy with anything other than the word of God. Rose is going to cut cakes. She's a bit early, but she's gone to cut cakes. Eighth, Satan's battle against us. Satan battles against us because we are God's witnesses in the world. And the more that you stand for Christ, the more he will try to do you down. You know, you put your head above the parapet and you're going to get people shooting at you. As soon as you say, I belong to Jesus, this is where I stand. Come what may, do what you will, I stand here. Then the enemy will come against you in all sorts of subtle ways. In all sorts of ways. It will be your family. It will be your husband or your wife. I live with an unbeliever. You know, and he's a good, good man, and I've been married, I can't believe it, but I've been married nearly 48 years. I mean, it's just, I was obviously only two when I got married. <laughs> I can't believe it, I hate to say it, it's like, oh no, really? Anyway, 48 years, I love him to bits and I know he loves me, but he's an unbeliever, and he cannot, he cannot understand the things of the Spirit because he doesn't have the Spirit. And Satan will get into that relationship whenever he can. And he will get in today. Well, I, he won't actually because I'm not going home. But when we talk on the phone, he will get in. Because what will happen is as soon as you start to talk about the Lord Jesus, as soon as you talk about victory that you have in Christ, as soon as you decide I'm standing here and I'm not moving another step backwards, then Satan will come in all sorts of different ways. And suddenly you'll be in this situation <laughs> that you never thought you'd be. I mean, you know, I'll be on this massive high and suddenly, not anything to do with me or my husband, but suddenly something will happen and it will go wrong. But the thing is, that's just the life we live in the world we live. We have to then take up the sword of the Spirit. Then remember what we heard and we're on a high about then when the chips are down when everybody comes against you when even your own flesh and your own mind is screaming at you that you're not worth it and why would Christ do that for you then then you pray unceasingly then you pick up the sword of the spirit then you stand and stand firm on the word of God and God never disappoints never ever disappoints you he is always faithful always faithful